This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. Episode 38, Rue. It is, we're in a we park, think. it's great. We're outside. It's sunny, uh, it's blue sky, and we've got a magician with us. How do you? Hello, Ali. He's from the north. Actually, yeah. A northern magician. Northern magician. That extra air of mystery. <laughs> oh, bloody brilliant. <laughs> Ali Cook, welcome to Shift and Stop. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You might know Ali from his, uh, his TV work because he's been on a lot of sort of alternative magic shows like uh, Dirty Tricks and Monkey Magic is another one that you've done. Um, I don't know. Is is magic cool now? Is it still geeky? Is it getting more cool? Is it? it do you, um, I mean, ma- magicians are massive geeks, aren't they? Yeah, magicians are seriously geeky. Yeah, it's like a facade. The alternative magic. It's the uh, same old geeky kids doing it, but they just wear jeans now, and they <laughs> <laughs> so they think that's cooler. <laughs> but, um, but I also think geekiness is quite cool, though, isn't it nowadays? Mm. Like everyone's a geek into something, mm. whether they're into like uh, computers or games or whatever so I guess that's the appeal of it now particularly say with close-up magic which is what I always did and uh, that's kind of its its own little world separate from the rest of magic now so everyone's either into coins or they're into cards and it's like who's the most skillful who's the best and that that's sort of the appeal really yeah and is it you uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got the Obviously. right magician on. Do you, do you have a specialism? Did you decide to go down any particular? Like, uh, yeah, I did. Originally, I was a pure sleight of hand coin magician. Originally, and that's how I won uh, all the like championships and stuff when I was seventeen and all the rest of it. But very important not to have a girlfriend as well. <laughs> that's the that's the main way to excel. Not not through lack of trying, but just through lack of. Uh, any attractive qualities <laughs> seems to be the way to do it <laughs> so that prevents any distraction you can focus yes, on your eyes yes yeah that's what i told myself <laughs> as i cried myself to sleep <laughs> but is it something that you get into because you think it'll be like something that'll be impressive to well, for the ladies yeah hey i can make a coin disappear <laughs> you wonder with darren brown and stuff and you sort of think well darren brown's just kind of an ordinary guy. <laughs> 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 if he wasn't Darren Brown. De- Darren's gay, though, isn't he? So, of course, yeah. yeah. So, what is hilarious about Darren yeah. is all of his early publicity was, "Yes, I used my hypnosis on women," yeah. and then three <laughs> years later, it was like, "I didn't really." <laughs> <laughs> I was lying about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that is the thing. Do you do it to get the ladies? But it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cheap shot, isn't it? Really. <laughs> Whoa! There you go. <laughs> a bunch of flowers. You yeah. see, you're saying this with, with a, a laugh, but you've obviously done that. I have. <laughs> I mean, I, most nice, most nice. I've always got a few roses up the sleeve. You never know. People, I think some people are, because, you know, it's like an excuse, isn't it, to talk to a girl. Yeah. If, and it's instead of just going up and just go, hello, or whatever, at least you go, hey, take a card, hey. <laughs> I find if you say it like that. Boom, you're in there. So, uh, you use the magician voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, good evening. <laughs> well, that was the other thing I was going to ask, was, like, how much of magic is actually, like, learning tricks and how much is 
is uh, misdirection and showmanship, as Darren would say. Um, well, I think the truth is, a good magician, it's all misdirection and showmanship. Right. But I think as a magician, it takes you about 10 years to learn that. Because uh-huh. I think it's a bit like when you're learning to play an instrument, you're so obsessed with technique at the start and certainly like young magicians they always think it's about the sleight of hand whereas it's saying Darren I mean you're not magicians but if you knew how Darren did Mm. a lot of his tricks you would just be staggered at how bold how brazen (laughs) how much lying is involved and then it is all about the showmanship yeah Yeah, it really is Um, and and, and not so much um, physical distraction but distracting off the mind is really Mm. uh, the ultimate that's why Darren's so good yeah is it possible to um, make up new tricks from scratch or are there just sort of ten formulas that you can reuse because a lot of the time not to keep going on about Darren Brown but as we mentioned it you use Penn and Teller next a lot of the time (laughs) well yeah them as well when you're watching the high profile magicians um, it does seem like they're doing the same trick just in a slightly different way a lot of the time that Paul Daniels did you know what I mean there are I mean in magic there definitely are classics like I do the eating the razor blades and Penn and Teller do swallowing the needles Uh instead and uh, but both of those were first done by Houdini uh, at the turn of the century I think what happens is once in a while someone does think of the idea and then it's so great because what's great about, say, eating razor blades is you're not sure if the guy doing it is just mental <laughs> or it is a trick, and it's on that borderline. Uh, and Darren did the same. Darren did the walking on glass uh, illusion, but then Indian street magicians used to do that. And I think when uh, once in a while when people stumble across a, a stunt like that where you can't tell if it's a trick or not, that's what makes it a classic. Right. But there are also only a few tricks in the world. Like, there's only seven magic tricks. So it is like appearance, disappearance, transposition, transformation, penetration and levitation. And then the other thing is psychic ability. And then everything's just a variation on those. Shivron, stop. Listen to the news. We've had uh, multiple reports of the neuro drinks uh, cited Mm. in the wild now. Yes. Lots of people moaning about the fact that they look quite a lot like shampoo and conditioner. They really do. And the way they've been advertised and like splashing out of some water in that kind of come wash yourself with this sticky drink. (laughs) But this is nice. We're sitting in in a park outside and I can see a well-known department store. We're sitting in a park outside and I can see a well-known department store and a bank. Oh, we're playing like (laughs) uh, when I went shopping and I bought... um, you can see a bank? Oh, yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I tried to meet Dave in Edinburgh last year, it was quite funny because I was saying, oh, yeah, let's meet on, um, is it George Street, the, the big kind of precinct that goes um, sort of parallel to Princess Street behind it. And I was saying, yeah, I'm in a Starbucks and I can see um, a Royal Bank of Scotland and a statue. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and literally every Starbucks along George Street had an RBS and a statue outside. So that was quite fun. It took a while for us to actually... <laughs> As a magician, what are the things that particularly impress and excite you? Um, for me, what impresses and excites me is, is literally seeing a really good showman. Like Penn and Teller, as you were saying earlier, you know, I saw they're over at the moment doing the Hammersmith Apollo, selling it out, which is great, and uh, one of them doesn't talk, one does talk, and then they do a trick, and then in the trick, one of them pretends to be moody with the other one. So it's sort of like watching a sketch and that, like watching a trick at the same time. So for me, it's... 
I enjoy all that stuff more than the the tricks for me. Yeah. Can you see how it's done though? When you watch it, does it spoil it for you when you're watching Magic? Because uh, you know how the trick's done. Yeah, I, I remember once being sat with Darren for three hours and he was trying to fool me, and he didn't. <laughs> and um, we had a bit of a card off. This was about five, when we were doing Magic, Monkey Magic about five or six years ago. And uh, I, to be fair, I didn't fool him either. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but he was a bit tense. <laughs> it was like gunslingers, but uh, we both outmoved each other. We both knew every move. Uh, but I've it. got a rabbit up this sleeve. <laughs> But once you know how to find a card, and there are about 300 ways of doing it, but once you know all 300, yeah. it's pretty much, it's quite hard for someone to nail you. Yeah. However, you're always waiting for the day that someone does. So You're off to Edinburgh quite soon, probably by the time this goes out, and you're, you're taking uh, a special new trick with you. You're doing some escapology up there, and a big, I hear a big thing of water is involved. This is the old, um, well, originally Harry Houdini did the um, escaping from a tank of water, and he called it the water torture cell. What my thinking was, was that in Edinburgh, um, it's so impractical trying to do magic because you get 15 minutes of setup and you're in little rooms and all the rest of it. And I just thought, why not totally go against all of that <laughs> and just bring a massive tank of water <laughs> and people are only going to be sat a metre away <laughs> and then I'm going to attempt to get out and they're likely to get pretty wet. <laughs> so, uh, and I just thought, why not just do something massive that you would only ever normally see on TV, really? And that was the idea. And I rejigged it as well. So not only do I escape from the tank of water, but uh, my assistant vanishes and reappears inside of it as well. Nice. Yeah. What's, what's the venue that you're at this year? Uh, so I'm at the Gilded Balloon uh, in the billiard room at 9.45. And you're there all month? I'm doing the whole month, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you have to spend a lot of time practising holding your breath? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just having to do that at, um, at the moment because the water tank arrived from the states uh, yesterday and so we're just practicing in the trick i have to hold it for about a minute so i'm practicing at two minutes mm. you never know yeah oh, God. i think the other thing actually about when you see something like a houdini escape is when you do see it on telly you just don't buy it for a second but when you see it live and the water splashes out handcuffs go on it's pretty horrible yeah so you're telling me how you've um you've owned Angry Birds now? Yeah, I had it. <laughs> I've had it for a week, and I finished it, and it's quite good. Mm-hmm. Quite enjoyed it. But you you've never played it to the end, have you? No, I played I played a few rounds, and then uh, I decided that the birds were too angry for me, and I couldn't cope. Aggressively so. <laughs> But you've never got to the stage of seeing the other sorts of birds. You haven't seen the red. No, birds? I didn't. I didn't know there are other kinds of birds. This is. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm just a rank amateur. You've barely touched this game. There's, yeah. there's birds that accelerate, birds that blow up, birds that multiply. It's great. That's amazing. See it. See it through. Birds that boomerang. But doesn't it? Doesn't it become like a different, a different game? Do you, mm. do you find you lose some of the purity? No, I like it right. uh, because uh, yes, obviously you lose the purest aspect of being good with what that one boring red bird. Mm. True, but instead, what you get is birds in order and you can't pick what, which one you use next they'll be lined up next to the cast oh. and you'll have to take whichever one comes next right. and that means that you have to know how to use their skills best in combination it's a bit like having uh, something like Mission Impossible okay. it, like a gang or like, like the A-Team they've all got their special skills oh, yes. to know how to use them best yes or like lemmings I was thinking just like lemmings yeah exactly just like lemmings 
So you're about, I would imagine, you're about the right age that you would have uh, grown up with Paul Daniels. Yeah, Paul yeah. Magic show. I yeah. started yeah. on the Paul Daniels magic set. That's yeah, how you got, got, got I did, started. yeah. A lot of people say this, don't they, about yeah. the thing. Did it have Paul Daniels in the front, going? It did. Uh, yeah, it really yeah. did. He has, a, he has four... Th- I remember the picture. He's got four plastic thimbles on, yes. a magic wand, and a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> <laughs> Half wink. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, but there were some good tricks in there. I got the magic set when I was a bit older, though, because I, I actually got into magic. I, I was about 13 when I really got into it, and I was a bit too old for a magic set. But because I was old, I, I actually learnt it properly. Yeah. And there was this amazing move called the equipment move where you had a little ball and it wasn't like a tricky thing it was just a pure sleight of hand so you can sh- apparently show both hands empty like this while secretly hiding a ball in your hand yeah. and I learned that and I remember doing it for some friends and they, they just couldn't <laughs> and even when I showed them how they how it was done they were like this uh, uh, I, didn't, uh, I can't figure it out kind of a thing yeah. it's so sort of cool to watch really and um, that's what really got me hooked and, and if, you'd, if you'd done that when you were nine, you might have struggled to get the technique. Yeah, there, there was another English magician, not known over here, but he wrote one of the most famous books in magic. Uh, he's called Derek Dingle. Good name. <laughs> he started when he was about 17, but again, he just started a bit later and just really knew it right from the start and really got into it, mm. yeah, and became one of the world's best sleight-of-hand magicians. Did you like Ali Bongo growing yeah. up? He was probably a bit pr- prior for, for all of us, I would have thought. Yeah, well, he was... Paul Daniels magical consultant but the Ali Bongo book of magic is another gem which I got from Asda (laughs) for about a quid and uh, that was how to make like you know pom-poms vanish and stuff like that but I I, that was I got that book the Paul Daniels magic set and then there was another guy called Peter Eldin who had a book called the pocket book of magic which was the first real magic book for like kids and that was aimed at people maybe about 11 upwards and that's where I learned a lot of stuff from as well. Those are the three main books, really. Right. Yeah. Did, you, um, did I read that you'd done some work with Andrew O'Connor at yeah. some point? Because he, he was quite kind of... He, he's, I always thought of him as comedy, and then he's, his name started turning up on, um, on a lot of magician shows and things, so I guess he's both now... Has he always been a magician? Oh, no, no. An- Andrew was... Um, he w- was always a magician. And then um, he became... Um, the Young Magician of the Year for the Magic Circle oh, right. when he was about 13, 14 doing a, a comedy pateract mm-hmm. and then he went on from there he went on and did musicals and then after musicals he became a game show presenter yeah. <laughs> which is where he got more into uh, sort of stand-up and joke writing and then from there when he hit his uh, sort of late 30s he decided to start a production company and he started with magic so it was me and Darren and a, a couple of others and we did loads of magic shows and those were all of his first commissions and then when he got um, very established with Channel 4 after our all the shows that we'd done he met the, the writers behind what later became Peep Show and then Peep Show was a real thing that made him sort of a comedy producer as well <laughs> and that was it but uh, yeah I think it was Andrew Newman at Channel 4 uh, new Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, I think, who were writing links for Robot Wars or something, <laughs> which I'm sure they don't tell everyone about. <laughs> but they were very good writers. And then, um, well, you'd have to be writing for Robot Wars, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, that's a, that's a proving ground. <laughs> and, uh, and then they also knew Mitchell and Webb, and I think it all very, all very quite kind of a bit of luck involved. Really, that show all happened. But I think that was the. I mean, it's a great show, and 
that's really what sort of made Andrew a good producer, I think. Yeah, I've been playing um, a different Angry Bird-related game mm. that isn't Angry Birds, which I may have mentioned before, which is Chucky Egg. Chucky Egg. Um, yes, and I've been playing it on a horrible uh, Flash web website thing. Um, so it's not even a proper emulation, and you get all kinds of problems with the Flash. Everything's slowing down in the middle of a jump, and it's not very precise. Nasty. But, you know, it's quite addictive, mm. and it's and you still want to beat those stupid birds. Is it bringing um, back memories of your, yeah. your childhood? It's bringing back horrible memories, actually, because I think I was quite frightened of Chucky Egg, and I think there is something a bit scary about that giant bird in the cage. It's a bit sinister, isn't it? Yeah, really, in that sort of, um, like... Um, like Chucky, I suppose. Like like kids' films that involve innocent-looking things. It makes it more scary because there's it is quite cute. Chucky's not cute. No, I suppose Chucky isn't. That's probably a good point. Um, I don't know. Maybe the teddy bears in Akira and the Akira dream sequence with the teddy bears all kind of wandering around and it's all a bit frightening. Um, or maybe uh, like the clown in it. But he's quite scary <laughs> no, too. Right. He's That's not exactly like a nice like clown, is he? Yeah. yeah. Or maybe like Freddy. Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't he adorable? Anyway, Chucky Egg. Egg. Yes, and and I was telling you, I I got to uh, level five, I think, and I just couldn't get any further. Mm. And then and then one day, one day, one time, I loaded it up, and I obviously hit some kind of bug because it catapulted me into the next phase, Ooh. which is uh, which you can only usually get to when you complete all the levels, right? Which is starting from the first screen again, like the first sort of level screen. But instead of all the little um, emu things walking around and trying to get you, the cage opens <gasps> and the big bird at the top left just starts slowly flapping its way towards you oh. across the screen and it, and it doesn't obey any of the usual rules. It's like the queen in, in chess or something. So how do you deal with that? I've never got this far in Chucky Egg. What well, you? the nice thing about it is, I mean, it's quite funny because it's sort of, its beak's going up. <laughs> it's like, like it's quacking at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can laugh at it but you can also you can go much faster than it it's very slow which is quite good okay right so you've got the you've got the advantage that you can run away yeah and it's not going to get you yeah and and you can it's not very good at moving um, agilely so it it tends to just move in diagonals like like a queen in chess but slowly yeah exactly yeah so so you can like um, you can see it's coming towards you and then you can sort of dodge it by moving in a very surprising direction so it takes a while to, to catch up with you and so is the idea that you then play through the game again but now with the added difficulty yes. that there's this great big bird chasing you and the, the bird's chasing you but the little birds have gone Ooh. so in a way it's, it's a lot easier it's not more difficult yeah so I think but you have to learn how to do it all again because oh. you've done it you've learned all the levels based on the little birds and the sort of the, the area they um, patrol mm. And now they've all gone, you've still got to get the same eggs. And oh, I had no idea that Chucky Egg had this depth to it. I know, it's so, so involved. That's brilliant. I think it was written by a teenager or something, you know, so one of, like all the best games, it was yeah. written by a child. Magic's really connected to that sort of criminal underworld thing. <laughs> And uh, I used to really like, uh, you know, like the film. Have you ever seen The House of Cards by David Mamet? That was a film about con men, and I remember seeing that when I was 15. And that had Ricky Jay in it, who's a famous card magician. And it was just all about re- how to rip people off. And it was a really good film. And then Grifters came out. Yeah. And then also there was the old film The Sting. Yeah. And The Sting has a clip of a guy called John Scarney 
who was one of the world's best card magicians. And when, uh, what's his name, Paul Newman's meant to be shuffling the cards, it's actually John Scarney doing all the shuffling. <laughs> but I remember seeing all those, and then there's all these books on how to cheat at cards and how to pickpockets and things mm. like that. And that was also the sort of appeal, mm. getting into magic as well. Was that your route in, the slightly that criminal was, scene yeah. side of it? I just thought it was amazing that you, how people can be deceived, really. And there was this book called um, CRD Sharper. It only was ever released in the magic world, but it was a psychologist interview with real hustlers. And they had a pool hustler, a golf hustler, a card hustler and a dice hustler. And it was all how they did all their sleight of hand and then also how the psychology of ripping people off. Yeah. And then and magic is like the nice version of that, really. <laughs> um, but that, I think that's one of the uh, the appeals of it, really. Yeah. yeah. I suppose it does have a... You don't think about that, really, but it does have, like, a dark mm. history. It is, it yeah. is all... Um, and, and not just that, but the, the occult and the, the that sort of um, paranormal sort of stuff as well and tricking people and soothsaying and mm. gypsies and... Well, and cutting, cutting women in half. I mean, there's yeah, an awful lot of... Nice <laughs> it's very nasty, really. As well. There's a lot of misogyny in magic. <laughs> <laughs> is there still? Um, yeah. Well, they only started letting women into the magic circle in the 70s. Wow. Because they said women can't keep secrets. <laughs> oh my god! That was obviously quite a factual, scientifically researched <laughs> piece of evidence yeah. they had. Wow. I remember seeing. I think Harold Taylor was a famous magician, and he used to do some sort of call my bluff type show as well. I remember him being on daytime telly when I was a kid, saying, well, "We can't let women into the magic circle. <laughs> they, they can't, can't keep trusted. secrets. They That's cannot amazing. be trusted." <laughs> So how does the magic circle work then? Is this something that to get to a certain stage in magic you have to be a member of or involved in in some way? Um, Well, it used to be a lot more secretive. It was a lot more like the Masons and it had a lot of kind of ritualistic things going on. But nowadays it's more of a club. You, You basically have to show an interest in magic and then you have to do an audition of which some of the tricks have to be the classic tricks and then they can see how well you did the classics. And then, you know... If they think, yeah, you're definitely... It's not a fad and you're definitely into it, then they'll let you in, yeah. And how big is it? How many members? There's not, never that many. I would say probably under 3,000 worldwide. Wow. Yeah, so not, not that many, yeah. Fairly exclusive club. Yeah, pretty exclusive, yeah. The Magic Circle, they're always fighting each other. I, that's why I don't go off and the, uh, the president's always having a, uh, an argument with the vice president and then someone else is trying to have a go at them. It's really, it's like watching Dynasty or something. <laughs> like, they're always having a go at each other and I don't know why they do it. But, uh, but the, the building is a beautiful building and they have an amazing library right. as well. And a lot, most of the people who go just are really into their magic, yeah. It's at, it's behind Euston Station. But anyone they have like a lot of open days and stuff now. Oh. Yeah, so they do a, and I think they do like a Christmas show for families and stuff. I feel I feel a bit scared by the idea of the magic circle. I don't think there should be that many people who know that much allowed in one place that <laughs> they're all the best at tricking people and then they're all in one place together and they can go there and you know it's a bit like Borstal, isn't it? You know, you don't know what terrible crime they might come up with. <laughs> what do they really do there? That's what I want to know. And I was, I was uh, enlightening you on the fact that there were two actors that played Talky Toaster, didn't they? Well, not only two actors who played Talky Toaster, but two actors who played Crichton. Yes, this overlapping facts. Yeah. So obviously um, Robert Llewellyn played, played Crichton, yeah. but you were saying that when uh, he's first discovered in whatever episode it is, in the what, end of the first series, end of the second series? Mm-hmm. It's quite early, isn't it? Yes. That's not Robert Llewellyn. Second series, I think. No, that's um, 
somebody's name I've forgotten. I think it's David something, and he's. They all talk about how he's legit. He's a real actor, and none of them have ever really done the acting before. So they're all a bit, a bit sort of. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine, but they were all, all a bit intimidated by him. I think when he walked in um, in his Crichton costume. Is that why they got rid of him? Because he's yeah, a bit too good. Yes. Yeah, and this is obviously pre Robert Llewellyn, um, and then they brought. Robert Wellen back as Crichton in series three. Isn't there a bit of a gap as well, or does it just go? Does it go straight into having Crichton again at the beginning of the third series? I seem to remember there being a. Being I think a gap. it goes. I think it goes back in. Mm. No, I can't remember. No, I don't put this bit in. Um, no, I'm not sure. But I do know that when they bring him back at series three, they have that Star Wars style uh, spool of um, facts. Yeah, this is how we got from here to here, and then it explains roughly how they decided to have Crichton back in it again. And it speeds up. Yeah, that's right, yeah, and you can't read it in time. So, yeah, so two actors that play Crichton and, uh, and two, two voices for Talkie Toaster. Wow. One of them being Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk's, yeah. Is Tony it Tony Hawk's. Hawk's or Tony Hawk? Your brother's a skateboarder, so he probably knows. Well, I'd yeah. say that Sam probably isn't so much a skateboarder as a skate park designer. Mm, okay. uh, I don't think he'd call himself a skater. Um, I think Hawk. it's Tony Hawk. Yeah, I think you're right. So Tony Hawk, he's not a skateboarder. Or is it the other way around? Anyway, to- the- Whichever uh, one it is, with the one with the nose. The, he's got. He's yeah. I was going to say he's got curly hair, but that might just be his character as Caligula in um, Meltdown. Of course, he's in. <laughs> he's in Red Dwarf a lot. Yeah, he's he is what they call the fifth dwarf because he's in it so much as voices often. He's um he's in the uh, Better Than Life as lots of voices as well. I think. If you remember that episode, I do. Well, I remember Better Than Life very well because it's mm. the best episode, apart from the first episode, which is brilliant. But it's got Timothy Spall at the beginning as the caretaker, isn't uh, it? I think what you're doing there, yeah, really, is That's you're confusing fun. Better Than Life oh. with Back to Reality, which is the best episode. <laughs> which is the best episode? I agree. Oh. It's, it's brilliant. You see, you've out geeked me now. <laughs> I thought I was quite. It's alright. I I do that too sometimes. Happens the best of us. No, it's it's true that they do have similar. Uh, titles and similar content so it's, it's very easy to mistake <laughs> like Terry Pratchett books yes exactly if people are getting into magic or like the idea and sort of want to learn and want to become expert at it what is the route I mean you've mentioned a lot of books is, is that how people sort yeah, of get into it there really is, uh, there is a place um, there's a few magic shops in London one's on Clerkenwell Road it's called International Magic and uh, Jerry Sadowitz used to hang out there quite a bit, which is quite a cool place to sort of meet a really good comedian as well. And then also at Charing Cross Underground, there's this really weird old shop called Davenport's. It's been there for 100 years. And both places, they sell, like, little tricks, but really it's the books you want to buy. And, the, and it's really... It is like learning an instrument. Like, you can get... There's a series of books called Card College, Volumes 1 to 5. Wow. And you start on Volume 1 and you, you work your way up, basically. But that's how you get into it, yeah. And the best thing is, you know, you learn about three tricks really well and then just get used to doing it. And then the other thing is learning how to uh, lie convincingly. That, that's quite... Well, no, it's true, though. It's actually quite a hard thing to do. Like, if you're holding, secretly holding something in your hands, you've got to not look tense or nervous, really. Yeah. And not give it away with your eyes, not looking at the, yeah, the place. Exactly, that... yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. In magic, do you have kind of hierarchies of of trick styles like is there a thing where you, is it more is it better to be more pure and use the least number of things or is it okay to kind of do a David Copperfield I'm going to use loads of stuff and people uh, does it matter as long as the trick's good I think a lot of amateur magicians think like that I think they think or the hobbyist magician thinks that the harder it is technically 
like if I have to be able to palm uh, 30 coins and no one notices um, then I must be a better magician but that's just not the case a magician it's all about the showmanship and the misdirection and even though someone like Copperfield might do some massive thing with a box he does it so much better than anyone else ever will probably actually and and everyone always goes oh the trick's in the box well I've been jumping in and out of a water tank all morning (laughs) and I can tell you it isn't any easier (laughs) doing a trick with a box it's like my back's aching my (laughs) ankle's hurting and it's just a different type of it's more like dance uh, choreography rather than sleight of hand but it's also really hard to do when you see David Copperfield make a woman vanish in a box I mean my god that girl has got to be fast and agile and and the timing it's like split second timing as well it's weird really I, David Copperfield came over here years ago actually and he never came back because the press really sort of laid into him but the um, the show that he did was um, it was amazing it was the best magic show I've ever seen but I mean he is sort of um, obsessive he genuinely doesn't really have many friends and things like that And but he just 500 shows a year or something ridiculous the, I mean he's cheesy and he's a bit Las Vegas but even then in the 90s when everyone said he was a bit cheesy he stripped it all away and he changed all the music he got rid of all the costumes and then he started the show again which I think and what that's what I think so good about him is he will actually listen to what everyone's saying as well and apparently the new show he's just in jeans and a t-shirt there's no fancy props or dance girls or anything like that he just does really cool tricks yeah. I wonder um, what percentage of an audience is kind of interested in spotting how the tricks are done and what percent are just along for the ride. You know, have you, have you got an experience of that? Like 13-year-olds um, kind of shouting out, yeah, oh, I've, seen the, I've seen the rabbit. I think 13-year-olds are the worst, <laughs> Yeah, by far. I used to, I, I grew up, I cut my teeth doing the bar mitzvah circuit of Leeds. Oh, wow. And um, that was a hard crowd. <laughs> I think that's how I got good fast, because they were brutal. And I used to do a trick called the card on ceiling, um, where you throw the cards up and it land, the card they chose sticks to the ceiling. It's a really cool trick, but that's the only trick they wanted to see. <laughs> they would, there would be like a line and go, do it in my card, do it in my card, and just did it over and over. <laughs> and then the, the main rabbi guy hated me, because all over his synagogue, <laughs> in cards. it was just Sorry. cards everywhere. <laughs> but um, th- 13-year-old boys, they, they're at that weird age where they know it's not real magic but they don't they haven't realised it's only meant to be a bit of entertainment <laughs> and so they're just like you're not going to fool me they just hate that sort of you know because it makes them feel like you're patronising them yeah. yeah but that's the only time really the rest of the time everyone just you know sees it for what it is which is just a bit of fun really I went to see um, Paul Daniels at the BBC on my 14th birthday did you? yeah and that was the first time I'd been to TV Centre no and, and it was amazingly exciting but mainly going to BBC TV Centre because you know we didn't have the internet in 1993 <laughs> it was like Jesus this is amazing the, the, you know this is where all the media comes from Paul Daniels basically did all his warm up as well and oh, just really? did all the in between acts he was wow. coming out to entertain everyone and he was really good I thought he was great and he did this thing with a broom balancing on his finger and he was sort of walking around with his broom like wow, yeah. that takes some practice. <laughs> it's not really magic, but it's quite impressive. Was yeah, this in the good. in the Debbie McGee era. As yeah, well? and oh, his, and Debbie McGee's sister, I think, was sitting quite near us in the audience and looked exactly like her. Yeah, it's uh, it was good. That'd be handy cool. for a trick. I was going to say, I didn't yeah. know she had a sister that looked more or less the same. Yeah. That explains <laughs> a lot of his secrets. It's a well guarded <laughs> secret. Yeah. I think what is quite cool about that era, though, is people like Paul Daniels. They did all their own warm up and like Morecambe and Wise and people like that. 
they were proper and the two Ronnies proper entertainers yeah. and they they didn't get on you know like nowadays some idiot who wears interesting clothes becomes a TV presenter in like three weeks yeah. <laughs> and then you're just thinking why is everyone watching this idiot oh it's because he's wearing a silly hat or something yeah. whereas in those days like people there was genuinely they sort of they've been doing the clubs or whatever for years I think that still happens in stand-up mm. you can't fake stand-up like no one is good at stand-up for like three or four years you know and uh, but that's what I quite like about people like Paul Daniels is he he could plonk them down anywhere mm. And they could work a room, you know, yeah. in any which way you wanted, really. Yeah. There's quite um, there's something about magic which goes hand in hand with comedy. It seems to that, like um, I was saying with Andrew O'Connor before, I can't think of any magicians who aren't funny, but there must be some. Maybe maybe David Copperfield. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Is it to do with um, relaxing people or getting people to go on the same wavelength, wavelength as you or something? I think uh, the structure of magic and the structure of comedy are the same. Most jokes are a set-up and a punchline, and every magic trick is a set-up and a punchline. So, you, you, you know, like, um, the setup leads the audience to expect one thing, which is the misdirection, and then in the punchline you shatter that expectation and reveal another expectation, and then everyone laughs. And, and then most magic tricks work just like that. So... Like the oldest magic trick is you've got a cup and a ball and the ball vanishes and reappears under the cup a few times. And then the second you think, hang on a minute, it's got two balls, they lift up the cup and there's an apple and then everyone laughs. And that is just like a da It's exactly like a joke. And I think that is a similarity, really. And you are constantly misdirecting the audience. And really good comics, they really are, you know, in their tonality... A lot of magicians like comedy and vice versa, but in magic you use uh, you tend to do a secret move when they're laughing because oh. that's when people are least likely to be really concentrating. Never gonna laugh at magic ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna be Ali Cook, it's been such fun talking to you and thanks for um, revealing all your secrets for the magic circle, <laughs> which we're now going to edit out. No, but thanks for chatting to us and uh, we've learned so much, it's been great fun. Yeah, we have, and people should be sure to check you out in Edinburgh and uh, do you have a website that, that people can go to? Yeah, it's uh, alicook.com Is that cook with no E on the end? That's with no E, yeah, yeah. and cook. it's Ali A-L-I Goodbye!